pastor in his office, I'm going to preach short and sweet. I really did. And then I took away one of the adjectives. <laughs> I took away the sweet part. But I am going to preach short, and I'm going to teach, I think, this evening. I think God would have me to do that. And I think the reason is, is that um, something's wrong with my throat, and my wife says it's due to snoring. Now, I don't know if any of you have that trouble or not, but I usually don't. But it seems that ever since I entered this winter wonderland of uh, Brisbane and cooler temperatures, uh, I have been snoring in the night, and I'm what I call husky. I'm not a dog, no. <laughs> I don't have a dog in my throat, no. I have 13 dogs in Carava, yes. Uh, one just whelped, and beautiful puppies just opened their eyes a couple days ago. Anyway, uh, I'm a little bit on the husky side, so I think we'll make it short tonight, but something to encourage your heart, something to edify the local New Testament church, something that we need, something that we should focus on, something that will build us up, something that will unify us, something that will make us what God wants us to be. And it's all because of his amazing grace. I thought he might remove that this afternoon. It was just a thought. Because I know to preach, to teach, with this at my side, might be difficult. I think it should be difficult for you to see it. I think if you look upon this this morning as the red was, or look upon it now as it's all dried up, if that doesn't bother you, there's something wrong with you. Not being harsh. I walked in that building just before 6 o'clock and tears came to my because it was still there. The cross should bother you. Your name is on that cross, many of you. Literally, physically, on a piece of paper. But it was your sin that was there thousands of years ago. Not a piece of paper. What a great illustration we had today. That should bother you. It should continue to bother you every day of your life because he took your place. He took my place. Thank God for the cross. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. I prayed and asked God what he would have me to give. And I have, I have so many messages that are here and there and everywhere. And I just asked God, what would you have me to do? I know the day, I know the involvement, I know the activity, I know the, the program, I know all that's happening. I know people will be weary, tired, worked hard, visited hard, prayed for this day. God gave you a host of visitors. I was thinking, am I in the right church this morning or not? Um, shaking this person's hand, ah, I don't know you. Shaking this lady's hand, ah, I've never seen you before. And he even shook my wife's hand and I said, who are you? Oh, that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for getting visitors inside the house of God on the greatest day that they could come, Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Matthew chapter number 27. Why don't you open your Bible there and we'll be in several places. But I want to look at the sayings of the cross. And it's not, I know it's been preached before. I know it's been taught before. I know you've looked at it before. I know you've studied it before. I know in your Sunday school classes and sessions and fellowship groups and instruction and Bible Institute classes and even in our Christian schools, we teach of the seven different sayings of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to preach on each of those. That is not my intention this evening. My intention is just to give a few thoughts 
as God has given them to me. And just kind of in a more relaxed atmosphere this evening, yet bothered by the cross that is over there, let's, let's delve into it just slightly. And maybe if you agree with what I'm saying, or maybe if you understand what I'm saying, instead of the eyes closed, you might keep them open a little bit. Maybe you'll, you'll shake the head a little bit, or, or if not, I'm going to have volunteers come up, and then I know everybody will be here, all right? <laughs> now, I saw that new 50 Kina uh, note, that, that $50 note. I got one the other day, and uh, last time I was in, you know, the 50s were always the same, 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 and now you can see right through them. Oh, wow, the new $50 note, and I'm not sure if that's what the young lady got today, but anyway, if I ask for volunteers, just kind of line up on this side and come right on up, and all will be well. The seven sayings of the cross, the seven sayings of the cross, and we'll be very brief as much as possible as we can here this evening, trusting God that he'd help us and enable us, and again, Pastor Lloyd, thank you for your great friendship and the great things that you've said and uh, the wonderful message that you gave this morning. And he is my dear friend. And I, am, I apologize for my absence. Really, I do. And for my wife. Uh, it burdens us when we can't be here for special times that you have in celebration or in conferences. Uh, sometimes life is so difficult. Sometimes scheduling, I have to schedule when I breathe sometimes. Uh, you know, most, most missionaries, they, they, oh, they're working on building a church. Uh, we're building nine of them at the same time. We just got three sawmills, and I've sent those three sawmills and four chainsaws to build nine church buildings and three pastors' houses. I'm talking about carrying these by helicopters because there's no other way to do it. Some of these churches are 48 hours travel distance from where I live. Unbelievable. And there's nine of them. It, not one. You know, why don't I have sense like other missionaries? I don't know. But why would I want to build nine at the same time? These sawmills are going timber. You know, we have a lot of trees in Papua New Guinea. It's one thing we do have. You took yours away, but we have lots of ours. And we're just cutting and cutting. They're cutting and cutting and cutting and drying timbers. Nine brand new permanent buildings, Lord willing, will be built in some of the most remote places of this world. And I'm telling you, to get that done oh, is unbelievable. The logistics of getting everything in the right place. We're praying to put roofs on these church buildings when they're built and iron posts underneath them because of the flooding. And we're praying that God would give glory, get glory through all of this and more souls can be saved. Five of these churches are on the Indonesian border. And you know what? I think three of the churches, half of the church members are from here in jail. They're from the other side of our border. And they come across the border to go to church. And when church is over, they go back to their own country. It's just fascinating what God is doing. Souls are being saved and lives are being touched. And I'm just, I'm, I apologize again. Sometimes I just can't leave. So I apologize to the pastor. I apologize to you. I apologize to my wife who is mad at me when we don't come. And uh, she does forgive me. Thank the Lord for that. And starts cooking food for me again. <laughs> Chapter 27 of Matthew, what's he say in verse number 46? I got to quickly go on. Remember, I got a dog in my throat here. <clears throat> verse 46 of chapter 27 of Matthew, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But don't forget, they were in the upper room not too long before this. Is that true? And again, you just kind of agree with me as we story and tell these little, uh, little bits of information. They were in the upper room. And remember when they were in the upper room, Jesus got everything prepared. He got the disciples to get everything ready. They were going to observe the Passover a day early. True? True. All right? It's 13th. Passover is the 14th of April. 
They are getting everything ready. With Jesus are his 12 disciples. You agree with that? Yes, I think you would agree with that. Also, in that room was the devil himself. You agree with that one? Yes, you know your Bible. You agree with that one. So we have 12 disciples. We have Christ. We have Satan. There's 14 personages. Can, can you understand that? And you know exactly what is happening. It is a very, very deep time. I would love to preach just on that upper room, but have no liberty to do that now at this moment. But I'm telling you what, he had done, did everything from the, the instituting, what we would call like this morning, the Lord's Supper, the, the Passover feast that they were having. It was the betrayal of Judas that was about to take place, and he was dipping, the, dipping that bread into that sop and, and giving it. And still the eyes of the disciples were blinded. Were they not? Yes, they were. Their eyes were blinded. In fact, God blinded those eyes. And oh, I wish I could talk about that, but we can't. Their eyes were still dim. They could not see exactly what was happening. The devil leaped into Judas. Yes, he did. If you don't believe me, just line up here and I'll give you $50. Okay. Leaped into Judas and left. And you know what Judas did? He went to work out the details, the 30 pieces of silver, the everything that's going on. Yes, you understand all of that. And all of a sudden, they left that upper room shortly after that in the darkness. They went into the Garden of Gethsemane. Did they not? In the Garden of Gethsemane. And there they left the disciples and took, he took Peter, James, and John, those inner three, and went a little bit farther and then left them. And then as he went a little bit farther, he knelt down and prayed as, as great drops of blood, true, are falling. Out of, coming out of the pores of his skin. And he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. How many times? Thank you. Kind of like the Apostle Paul with the thorn in the flesh. Let this cup pass from me. Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times God would take it away. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. He prayed that three times. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God's answer to Paul. Remember that as you look in the book? God's answer to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for thee. God's answer to Christ was, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You know shortly what happened after that. You, you understand it. You know, he got back to the disciples and they're asleep, aren't they? And he's still praying and the, the blood is still falling. And angels are there to minister, amen, to our Savior right there in that garden of Gethsemane. Very soon Judas and the high priest's cohorts are there. He betrays him with that betrayal kiss. You walk it in your mind with me, though we're not looking at all these verses. And as he comes and gets, gets a little bit closer, gives him that kiss, you know Peter and how he is. And he takes that sword and that's something every fisherman needs to carry, amen. And he takes that sword and he cuts off Malchus's left ear, does he not? And Jesus heals it and says, hey, put up the sheet. Hey, hey, listen, the cup, he says, that God gave me, I have to drink it. And inside that cup, you know what is inside that cup? All the dregs that are inside that cup is the wrath of God upon sin. My sin. Your sin. The very wrath of God the judgment of God, his anger upon sin is represented in that cup that Jesus must drink. And you know what it meant? It meant separation from God the Father and God the Son. It's never happened before. He has always been. They have always been one. There has never been a point of separation. Jesus is hanging on the cross not too many hours later. And as we read in our verse, chapter 27, 46, he says, My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? 
Proverbs chapter 8. Just very quickly, Proverbs chapter 8. I'm sure you've seen this. Proverbs chapter number 8. Let's look at something very, very quickly. Inside the book of Proverbs chapter number 8, talking about knowledge, talking about wisdom, talking about what, what really God is. And it gets down to about verse number 22. You know what the Bible says? The Lord, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While I was yet, as he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the strengthened the fountains of the deep when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth then I was by him as one brought up with him don't you see they were one they had always been one there was a nev never 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 a separation and as that dreaded day came, that Passover day, as all the people related to him said, crucify him, crucify him, they went and they, they took him and they nailed him there on Mount Calvary on that old rugged cross. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now I'll tell you what, I can take a measurement of a light year. And I can measure across our galaxy. But what instrument can you use and what technology of the day can you use and what can you fathom inside your mind that at this point could measure the infinite distance between God the Father and God the Son? Nothing. It was immeasurable. As pastor said this morning, he turned his face away. He was gone. When the Bible says, or songs that we sing sometimes use the phrase, how Christ died alone. Do you understand that has a lot more depth than you think it does? He died alone, forsaken by God the Father. Luke chapter number 23, number 2, Luke chapter number 23, and look at verse number 34. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 23 and verse number 34. Very quickly we'll go through this. You know there's seven of them all together. Luke chapter number 23, verse number 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots. The second statement on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you remember when he was standing before the crowd, the backside of the temple of Pilate was a place that was called the pavement. You've seen that in the Bible. A place that is called Gabbatha. And it was a very large opened area. And that rock was like a fortress. It went out very, very far like a platform form did and inside the court that was fenced by the way you could approximately put 3,000 people here on this day the most special one of the most special days for the people of Israel they are there while a judgment is taking place where Jesus Christ the son of God is standing before his accusers. 3,000 people can fit inside 
around that stone called Gabbatha. They had taken Jesus, as you know, to the high priest. They had bounced him back and forth from one to the other. He eventually got with Pilate. They have stripped him of his clothes, have they not? They have placed in, in mockery a purple robe. They have put a crown of thorns upon his head. And he has been scourged with a cat and nine tails. Thirty-nine times he has been whipped. He is unrecognizable at this point. He is bleeding, dehydrating. Dying right in front of their eyes. Beaten, scourged, whipped, mocked, made fun of him by the same people that walked on the roads of Jerusalem. Those that walked down the trails of Galilee. Those that were even relatives of his. Those that saw him do miracles. Those that were a part of the miracles that Christ did. Those 3,000 plus people stood there and said, crucify Crucify him. You know the Pilate story. And it goes farther if you continue to delve into history. It's a very, very fascinating. But Pilate was a very, well, he was a mastermind of deceit, by the way. He gets to the point that he is trying to release Barabbas. No. Whom shall I release? No, 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 no. Crucify Jesus. Release Barabbas. This murdering thief, this man of insurrection, this man that has caused our town uproar, this man that is nothing but a dirty, defiled man, release him. Crucify Jesus. But he is your king. We have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine a Jewish person saying that? And then they said what? Let his blood be upon our hands. Be upon our children. You know God the Father just happened to be listening that day? Do you know the relationship God the Father and the nation of Israel, which is his bride? Do you know what their relationship is? Right now? You know, God is as far away from the nation of Israel as he was when he forsook his son. Yet, through all of this, they marched him up Calvary's hill. Don't forget Genesis 22. Don't, don't forget about Abraham and Isaac. Hey, tie that all together in, please, if you would. How fascinating that story is and how the type is just picture, is perfect picture in so many ways. And then they put him on that old rugged cross and they nailed those Roman spikes in him and they put that down in that hole and there the rust of his blood was shed for you and I. And all his followers, he could just count on a few fingers could he not everyone else scattered in fear and he looked at the mob and he looked at the crowd and with a loud voice he said father forgive them for they know not what they You know what I pray? I pray that we have, there would be some people in this room tonight who could forgive a mother who has hurt them, a father who has hurt them, a son who has hurt them, a daughter who has hurt them. You have a, a child, a, a, a parent, a grandparent, a friend, someone in this church that you just cannot forgive. How can you not forgive when you look at that? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Chapter 23 of Luke, verse number 43. The Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in 
paradise. Thirdly, the third statement. What a wonderful statement. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. You understand there were several crosses at the point, at this point. You study history, you understand Roman government sometimes crucified 500 people on the same day. Yeah. We have a picture of three crosses, do we not, in our mind at this time? Can you follow me? If not, get in line here. All right. We have, we have three crosses we can picture in our mind. And the middle cross is the one that our Savior is hanging on. And on one side there is a cross and on the other side uh, is another cross. And the distance must be pretty much, much in the perfect proximity of able to understand and to hear and to, and to know exactly what others are going through as well. And here we have, as you read our New Testament in several passages, we have some thieves. Do we not? Rogues. My country, Papua New Guinea, we call them rascals. I don't know all what you call them here. Politicians, I don't know what you call them. But we have the, the worst of the worst. Excuse my language, the scum of the earth. I, I don't know if that offends you. I'm sorry about that. Get mad at the preacher. Don't get mad at me. I'm leaving tomorrow. We have the worst. Do you know? Do you realize crucifixion was not for the, uh, the normal? No, it was for the hardcore type of criminal. It was for the worst that they had. Well, as you read the Bible, and again, we won't read it all, but there's one that the Bible says rails on him. If you're really who you say you are, get us out of it. And the other one is like, can you just be quiet? Don't you understand? We deserve what we are getting. This man has done nothing, he's innocent. Then he looks at Christ with a repentant heart. Says, remember me. I don't know about you, but this is what happened to me today. When I walked up to this cross and I put John Gray on there and I poured that paint symbolizing the blood that was shed for me, my mind went back over 40 years ago when I was a 12-year-old boy and I was at an old-fashioned altar and someone was showing me from an old-fashioned book what John Gray had to do to be saved. I don't know about you this morning. but When I put my name on there and I poured that blood, I went right back to August of 1973. Now I know you thought I'm 40 years old today just like her, but I'm not. I'm a little bit older. I went back to the day that the blood was applied to John Gray. Remember me. Lord, remember me. Today, he says, today thou shalt be with me. In paradise. You know what? He could have been the last one in. Guess what? He could have been the first one out. I mean, he just made it. I don't recommend that, by the way. He gambled all his life, I'm sure. He gambled that day as well, did he not? Lord, remember me. You know, I'm afraid we have some people that are gambling still with the cross. You are gambling with the timing of the cross. You are gambling with the blood that was shed on the cross. And though the blood has never lost its power, though the blood is still there to save, and though God still saves old-fashioned sinners like you and I, why delay? Why do you wait? You've placed those names on there. You need to pray. My friend, you need to pray. I prayed for people for 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years of my life. 
before some of them got saved. Friend, don't delay. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. What a wonderful time. What a wonderful statement. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever think that our king was born in a stall? Our king, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born in Bethlehem's manger in a, in a, in a cold, dark cave, in a stall. Then he lived his life on earth, started ministry, and had nowhere to place his head. The birds had a nest. He didn't have one. He had nothing of his own. Do you ever realize everything he had, he had to borrow? Even shortly before this, he had to borrow a little donkey, did he not? One that never had man sit on him before. An unbroken, unruly colt. But yet Christ jumped up on him, changed his nature. You know, if Christ jumped on some of you, you know what would happen to you? He would change your nature. Then you could walk through the streets of Albany Creek with him riding on your back. What a parade that would be. Hallelujah. Today. Today. Lord, remember me. Today thou shalt be with me. In paradise. Luke chapter 23 verse number 46. We'll go to number 4. And we'll continue. Get you out of here in good time. Verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice. He said father into thy hands. I commend my spirit. And having said thus. He gave You need to understand something here. Jesus Christ had three different parts. Just like you have three different parts. Jesus Christ had body and soul and spirit. Just like you have body and soul and spirit. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross, he was forsaken. Yes, he was. By his heavenly father. But he gifted God his spirit. He commended it. He purposely gifted as God's son, gifted his spirit to God the Father. Well, you know what happened to his body very shortly after that. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they came. They got the body, permission from Pilate. They had to get it into the tomb. It was Joseph's tomb, was it not? Yes, it was. It was a rich man's tomb as, pro tomb as prophesied in the Bible. And they got that body in and they put the proper appropriate spices and wrappings around. So we know the body of Jesus Christ went inside that tomb. But the spirit of Christ was given to God the Father. But that only leaves one, one other part, his soul. Christ became a burnt offering for you and I. Christ died on the cross to, to purge our sins with his blood, did he not? Yes, he did. And when he died, his soul entered, not the grave. His body was there. His soul did not go to God, no. His spirit was given to God the Father. But his soul sunk down into the underworld of this earth that we have. Went into the very pits of hell to be the burnt offering God designed him to be. He did other things down there too. You read your Bible, agree with me. He went there to preach, did he not? Did he not? Yes. Who did he preach to? The people, no, he didn't preach to those people. No, he didn't preach to the rich man. No, he preached to the angels. Don't forget he created them. He preached what? Love? Oh, I tell you what, wasn't a love message. You ought to read it. He preached damnation, did he not? To the angels who had disobeyed, they're now, even they're still today, chained in the flames of hell. Then he left. 
after it became that burnt offering, he left. And don't forget, he had the keys of death and hell. So there's no problem. The devil locked the gates. He had the key. He opened it up and he went out and he went across the great gulf into a place called paradise. Paradise was a compartment of hell, of the underworld. Inside this locked fortress of paradise were the souls of all the Old Testament saints, except for a couple, but anyway, most of them were there. Those that knew God, their souls were kept inside a prison house of paradise. No, they couldn't get out. No, they couldn't run. No, 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 they were not in pain and torture. No, 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 it was not in the flames of hell. It was in the prison of paradise. Don't forget King Saul one time, he decided he'd get Samuel's advice about something. Problem was, Samuel was already dead, wasn't he? You remember that story? And what happened? Oh, he just went to this bad lady and said, listen, I need you. Oh, I'm not allowed to do this, King. I oh, don't worry, you won't get in trouble. Anyway, long story short, she had all these little spirits she played with all the time. But you know, these spirits ran away because something else happened. Samuel came up. And what he told Saul, why have you disquieted me in bringing me up? Paradise was in the bowels of the earth. Paradise was a part of a compartment of hell. Paradise was a holding place, my friend. And the soul of Samuel, and again, souls shaped exactly like your body. They didn't have to look and say, who are you? No, it was Samuel. Identical in shape. He's standing there. and They had their little conversation, a short little conversation. Jesus went. After hell, he went to paradise and, you know, he, he met this one that was on the cross. You know, the last one in, first one out, went to open up. And what did Christ do there? He preached, did he not? What did he preach? The gospel. Amen? Where was the gospel preached first? In paradise. Now that the blood was shed, hallelujah, now that God can, can be pleased with the sacrifice that was made, Jesus Christ preached salvation, the gospel, for the very first time in paradise. Hallelujah for that. And then what happened? They accepted it. Everybody but Elijah, he wasn't there. And uh, Enoch, he, he wasn't there. But uh, not anybody else was. And then he led captivity captive. And he took them up. Oh, I'm telling you, my friend, as we look, as we have a desire to see what has happened, he has given his body to the tomb. He gave his soul to the continual work of the underworld. And then his spirit was given to God. Fifth thing is in John, Gospel of John, chapter number 19. And we're just about done because there's seven and you know that I'm on number five. John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. We'll just briefly mention it. To fulfill the law of Moses. As the eldest son, the care of the mother was very, very vital and important. Underneath the law of Moses. At this fact, we see that Joseph is not there, the stepfather. We see that there is a difficulty in someone looking after his mother. The whole situation maybe we're not aware of. But he decided he would take the closest one to him. Listen to me. He decided at that moment he would fulfill the law that soon he was going to nail onto the cross. He decided that he would take the disciple, the one that was always on his breast and at his bosom. 
He would take the closest companion that he had on this planet and he would surrender the care of his mother to him. Again, fulfillment of the law, yes. You know what he is showing? He is showing a, a sympathy. He is showing an empathy. He is showing a, a, a family concern. He is showing, a, I'm telling you, he is now on the cross. He has depleted his body fluids. Understand now, walk with me here. He has shed nearly every drop of blood. He has been whipped and scourged. He's not even recognizable. He's being mocked and beaten and spit upon. He has a crown of thorns upon his head and he's concerned about his mother. He was just concerned about a thief a minute ago. Why have we lost our concern for one another? Why do we have so much division in our own homes? How come we let our children control the parents and we let grandparents control the, the, and we let, we let a, 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 an unsaved, ungodly uh, hellion that, that, that breaks all the rules of purity yet maybe is a great sports star or maybe is a great singer or maybe is a wonderful movie and we let these people dictate how we treat one another God forbid. God forbid. We no longer have a feeling. We have been numbed. We are unable to blush because of what our eyes see. We are unable to communicate with one another because of maybe what, what, what the, the devil has brought through us through technology. And maybe we, now our minds are so far and so foreign. We know not our own fathers and mothers. What is tomorrow? It's Easter Monday. And in our Commonwealth countries, and I live in one just like you live in one, it's a holiday, I believe, most places. Why not get to know your mother better? Why not settle the differences with your dad, your father? Why not gather your children around, do something together? Why not become the family God wants you to be again? He is giving up the ghost. He is dying. On that cross. And all his concern at the moment is for his mother. For his mother. Oh, I remember when I was a bad little boy. I'm telling you. I remember when I was very rebellious against my mother. My father died when I was just very young, hardly even knew him. But, oh, my mother, I could be very disrespectful to her and get away with it. I remember the times that I could be very bad to her and get away with it. I remember the times that I wasn't doing right and did things behind her back and she didn't even know it. But I'll tell you what, when she got bad sick and in the hospital and a few days later she was gone. Would to God. I would have loved her like I should have. Would to God I would have had to spend the time with her, growing with her, knowing her more. Do you know what I face when I'm in Papua New Guinea? And maybe Pastor faces, I don't know, but I'll just give it to you and we'll go on here. We need to finish. I could preach in Papua New Guinea whether where I live in Karama or in the capital city or some other city. And you know, you know what? And a lot of times we divide our churches. The men sit on one side, the ladies sit on the other side, whatever. You know, but still, I know who's whose. You know, that man, that's his wife, these kids, that's their mother, you know, whatever. The problem I have sometimes is that I can feel a burden that the parents are having as they sit on this side that is not even known to the children that are sitting on this side. 
And the other problem is, is that I see problems of our children and youth and young people on this side, but their, their, their fathers and mothers have no idea of the burden that they face over there. What's wrong with us? How come Christ at his last breath, and it practically is, is it not, was concerned of his mother? Twelfth of May is Mother's Day, is it not? I'm preaching in America that day, a church anniversary and a Mother's Day service in the state of Ohio. Just working on the message this afternoon, in fact. We better love her. Father's Day. We better love them. Parents, love your children. I didn't say give them everything they want. They'd kick you out to the doghouse and take over. The, you know, I understand how they are. Listen, but love them. Share with them. Get to know them. Children know their burdens that they can share with you. Hey, why don't you turn your telephones off tomorrow and throw them in the closet or something in the wardrobe and just shut them up in a drawer somewhere and just talk, love, eat together. That's what you do on Easter Monday, is it not? Fellowship. Cherish the moment before it's gone. John chapter 19, same chapter. And honestly, I was going to preach on this verse, and maybe one day I will, here. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Oh, I like that thought. <laughs> all things were now accomplished. Hey, do you, how do you feel? I know how I, know how I feel. When I have a list, a to-do list, and you know it, it usually runs down here and goes down to the floor and keeps going out the door. Yeah, that's my to-do list, things that I have to do each day. Do you know what I like to do? I like to, and you know, sometimes I use, I use the to-do list on my telephone. Fine, if you want to do that, and then you can kind of tap it, and, and it disappears. Wow, that's cool. I like that. And it disappears, go, 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 go. And when today's do list is all accomplished, then I can sit down and drink my favorite coffee and relax. Oh, I like that verse. I'd like to preach on that part of that verse one day. After this, where am I? I don't know where I'm at. Uh, chapter, chapter 19, verse 28 of the Gospel of John. Jesus, knowing that all things wow, were now accomplished. That the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. We're going to be here a long time if I look at my notes. I'm not going to look at my notes later. I thirst. I don't know about you, but this bothers me. It bothers me that the water of life was without the water of life. Bothers me. I'm trying not to do this. Okay. He created the fountains. Did he not? Do you agree with that? He created the firmaments and the water above him. He, he, he created the oceans. He created the seas. Did he not? The fountains, the deeps. They're his. But there was no water for him on the cross. When they were in Horeb and, and, and the Israelites were about to kill Moses. Uh, it was there, struck, struck the rock and the water came out freely. 
Remember Hagar and Ishmael out there kind of kicked out? And guess what? They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, uh, they're gonna die because there's no water. And all of a sudden, there it is. They can fill up their containers. The great mighty Samson one day defeated the foe and couldn't even hardly swallow it. He used the jawbone of an ass and guess what was inside that jaw? Water. He even went to the well. He Did he not? Jesus Christ in Samaria, a place that not too many of the other ones wanted to go. But he went there and sat there and talked to someone about a water that they could drink which they would never ever thirst again. He is the water of life, but the water of life was without the water of life. Oh, that bothers me. And in mockery, listen to me, in cruelty, they took gall and, what's the Bible say, vinegar, And they put it up to his mouth. Gall was a noxious, poisonous type of substance. I understand the way they mix it. Sometimes apothecary people and all those, you know, gurus, whatever, they would use it for, for deadening pain and things like that. But not in this case. This case, it was for mockery's sake. Vinegar was just the, the, the grapes that turned sour that could not be could not be drunk or eaten. I'm afraid that to degenerate the one that hang on, hung on the cross even more, they decided put it on the hyssop and, and let us put this poisonous, noxious, undrinkable substance to his mouth so we can keep him right where we want him to be. And we can still be what we already are. Now, I don't mean to be mean. I said I'd be short. But remember, I took away the sweet part. Let me give you a statement. Service is not an option in the work of God. Listen, service is not an option. It never has been. What did he say? Follow me. Service is an appropriate divine command. Of glorious experience. So when we do not follow our Savior, I believe it's like putting the gall and the vinegar to his lips. I believe we try to keep him there. I believe sometimes we sit in our church services putting gall and vinegar to the lips still of our Savior because we are not willing to serve Him. It's awfully quiet in here and I didn't mean to get it that way. I have many acquaintances in Papua New Guinea that are Catholic. <clears throat> Several years ago, one of them, I was with, I was with two pastors in the capital city. And I was, I have witnessed to this Catholic man for many years. He's a very influential man in our government. And because of the time of the year, he wore a crucifix, a cross on his neck in a chain that had an emblem of Jesus hanging on it. You know what that is. I'm not trying to hurt anybody here this evening, by the way. And one of the preachers I was with, he looked at that Catholic man who was lost, 
and he said, I want to tell you something, Jesus is no longer on the cross. Now, you know that, don't you? I know that. Yes, I do. We all know that. But for this man to say that to someone who was lost, when I know that this pastor is not serving God, that made me angry. And when it was all done, I walked with that pastor and I said, do you know what? If Jesus ever comes to your church service, you tell Jesus to get back on the cross because that's where you like to keep him. You know what? He didn't understand what I meant. But I think you do. When we fail to serve him, when we sit and hear the preaching of the word of God and our mind is rounding all over this world, when it's time to serve, but because of our hunger, it's time to eat. When we're not willing to sacrifice, especially with one who gave his all for us, it's so convenient to come to church and tell Jesus to get back on that cross. We're not ready yet. It's so easy to get the gall and the vinegar and put it back up to the lips of the one who said, I thirst. I hope that wasn't offensive to you. But I want you to understand something. That statement too bothers me. I mean, David even had men that risked their lives that went through the garrison of the enemy, did he not? To get water from the well of Bethlehem. He didn't have anyone. Remember, David even poured it out to the ground, on the ground, did he not? He couldn't even drink it. Jesus said, I thirst. But listen. I think there was another thirst that he had besides the physical one. Again, he was dehydrated, was he not? All his organs are probably shut down. Yeah, I understand that. All the blood has come out of his body. He, he, he had no fluid inside and he said, I thirst. But I think as he hung on this cross right here, he looked out at the people and thirsted after their souls. He had a thirst to see them come unto me, all ye that heavy and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like the woman at the well. Hey, lady, I have water you don't even know about. Huh? You don't have a bucket. <laughs> Told the disciples, I have meat you don't even know about. Huh? What are you talking about? He had a thirst for souls. He looked over the city. Heart was broken, full of compassion. The harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. Hey, you know what you've done these last few days? You tried to get out there and be thirsty a bit. Thirsty for the souls of Albany Creek. Thirsty for the souls of those that you work with. Thirsty of the souls of those that are acquaintances and friends of yours. But boy, that should be our statement as well. Not only him desiring souls, we need to desire souls. We need to thirst after his righteousness and all that he accomplished at Calvary. And then, of course, the last statement, and we find that in John chapter 19 as well, don't we? Verse number 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Wow. And he bowed his head. And gave up the ghost. I'm not going to give this to you. I'll just say it and turn it over to the pastor. Because it is finished and he arose from the dead. Number one, your sin is paid for. <laughs> I mean, it's paid for. I mean, paid in full. Your sins are Paid for. Because it is finished, and of course he is risen from the dead, you are accepted in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, all the chapters of Ephesians and several other places around there. Friend, you're, you're accepted. You are purchased possession. You belong to him. 
Him because it is finished. Number three, because it is finished, you can have victory over sinful habits. You say, I, I, I don't have any. I'm trying to think of some. Oh, come on now. Sinful habits. Sinful habits, sinful habits, sinful habits. Just your slackness and your laziness and your prayerlessness are some we can just start with here this evening. Your sinful habits. We can have victory over them. Hallelujah for that because it is finished. We have a great high priest seated at the right hand of God the Father. Hallelujah. It is finished. We can have victory over sinful habits. We can experience, number four, Christ living through us. Oh, wow. Christ living through us. Like I just mentioned about the donkey and Christ riding on the donkey. And they changed the nature of that donkey. Just like he changed our nature. And how that donkey now, now is just parading Jesus Christ. I'm telling you something. He can live through you. I'm going to get on a plane tomorrow. A big plane. I hope, I hope it's a big plane. Anyway. <coughs> Let's say I have a snowstorm. Pastor did talk about a snowstorm. And you know, if I recall correctly, the biggest snowstorm I ever faced in my life was on Easter Sunday. All right, so we'll, we'll pray it won't snow, all right, because I need to fly tomorrow. But you know what? I can get on that plane like you have. And I don't like to sit in the sea the whole time, but every time you get up, they think you're a terrorist. Anyway, and I, <laughs> I, they're nervous about people that want to move for some reason. They want you to sleep. Anyway, eat and sleep, eat and sleep, and then we're here. I like to walk on the plane. I don't know about you, but, you know, being a psychology major at university, I like to study people. And most of them are sleeping, but I like to, tonight they're sleeping. Too. Anyway, I like to study people, like to look at them, like to see what's going on. But you know what? I can walk through the plane, and all of a sudden in my heart, that's a Christian. See that family back there? They know Christ. Now, I don't do that with most of them because I don't believe they do. But you know what? When Christ is living through you, people are going to know him by your actions, your talk, your character, what you do, how you dress, what you say, how you, how you do all that you do in your life. He, because it is finished, because he is risen, you can experience Christ living through you. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I want, I live. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, whatever number it might be. Number five, because it is finished and Christ arose, you can trust the love of God for you. The love of God. You can trust now, I'm going to tell you something. Don't get offended when I say things. Just get offended to him, not me. <laughs> Can you stop trying to decipher and decode everything God is doing in your life? Why try to match minds with the ancient of days? We play these little political games in our families and, and we try to play them to, well, I know my father's acting like this because of this and, and I know my mother's talking like that because of this. I know the brother's like this because the sister did that. I, we can't play those games with God. Great preacher, Lester Roloff. Great evangelist, years gone by. He was a friend of mine, by the way. I knew him. I heard him preach many times. I drove him in a car, several different places. Now you know how, how old I am. Anyway, I heard his last message before he died. Do you know that? In Maslin, Ohio. I heard the very last message before he was in a plane crash the very next day. And you know what he said? Same thing I heard him say many other times. He says, you cannot track God on your radar. You cannot be, 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 find out all the details God is bringing in your life and come to the conclusions before God's even done. You cannot track Him. But you can trust Him. That He does all things 
the love of God. The love of God can be in you. Lastly, because it is finished and he is risen, you now have a message. You now have a message to share. As Christ said when he visited that upper room, didn't he? Yeah, he did. In fact, remember when he arose, Mary and the girls, the girl, the guy, ladies, they came early in the morning. It's still dark. And the stone was rolled away. Was it not? Yep. Agree with me. Uh, yeah, it was. And several passages in the New Testament tell us different details concerning that. And even, you know, even one passage, one sitting on top of the stone. And they went in there and there's nothing. That, uh, later, James, Peter and John came in. The, the clothes and nothing. He's gone. It's like, what's going on? Where is he? And remember, later, Mary came back and she's conversing with these angels. Hey, you've taken the body some. I need to know where it's at. They remember when she saw a figure come out of the darkness and it was Jesus, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But she didn't know it. And she thought it was the gardener, the husbandman, the one who takes care of the, the tombs, the sepulchers, whatever. And so she said, if you've, you've laid him somewhere, tell me so I can go and take him. We've got work we have to do. Just tell me where you have placed him. And then when he said her name, Mary. Oh, that's all it took. She said what? Rabboni, which means master. Understand she couldn't touch him at that moment. He yet still had to ascend. But when he came back down to earth, they were all in that upper room. He even was on the road of Emmaus, wasn't he, with, with some. And finally their eyes were open like, wow. And they ran back. That upper room must have been filled to overflowing. And Jesus, he just came walking right through the wall. Again, which tells us the stone wasn't rolled away for him to get out because he could have walked right through the stone. The stone was rolled away so you and I could get in. Thank God for that. And he got in there and just doop, right through the wall. There he is. And said, peace. Peace I give unto you. As the Father hath sent me, so send. We have a message. We have a message to take to our children, to our families, to our relatives. We have a message to take to our neighbors, to our friends, to our schoolmates, to our workmates. We have a message to take to the entire globe. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Pastor will come. Thank you very much this evening. Preacher, thank you.